folks, all right, let's start the Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, wa la'aqiba tulil mutaqeen, wa la'udwana illa ala zalimeen, wa salawatullahi wa salamu ala ashraf al-anbiya'i wal mursaleen, Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'atahu sahla, wa anta tajul al-hazna idha shi'la sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatika ya Rabbil kareem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everybody. Good to see you folks here, obviously. Good to see the guys online. And it's very nice to have Sarah Amr back, mashallah. Who's been missing for ages. And we did not miss her summaries. Well, we missed her, but we didn't miss her summaries that we had to read and stress over. But we do want her summaries back. As long as I don't have to read them. As long as someone else does the checking. All right, am I in the middle of the picture? Right, I think I am. All right, folks, so... Um, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, another blessed opportunity. I think it was the right decision. Uh, we were planning to do this in, um, in uh, Mecca. The uh, program uh, had it as uh, Wednesday night. And then we found out that there was uh, the, the possibility of, being, uh, of adding another Umrah, uh, another, well, actually Umrah as well, possibly, but quite possibly, another Tawaf opportunity. Um, and that's definitely what I want to prioritize, especially when we're in Mecca with such restrictions, any opportunity to do extra tawaf, even if it means people are absolutely smash knackered and it means two a day uh, or two sessions a day in which you do multiple tawafs, definitely going to prioritize that over the dar. So we moved it to Monday and there's a lot of khair in that because we've got a very nice room, nice and quiet, no problems and the like. So alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Um, so... Um, Folks online, obviously, Jazakumullah khair for accepting the 6 p.m. UK start on a Monday. But it was a bank holiday. We did a little check and everyone's happy with that. Um, well, on the, the folks I asked anyway. Um, so for those that this is the first uh, logical progression for in person, for you guys here, I mean, um, as a live audience, then this is obviously um, our long-term fiqh class. You can come right around here, guys. This over here, yeah. Shanoaz over here, yeah. No, 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 this way, yeah, this way. Um, this is our long-term fiqh class. Long-term meaning it's been going now 10 years. We do it every week, um, an hour, theoretically, hour and a half more realistically. And um, um, it is covering a text, a fiqh text, which basically covers absolutely everything to do with worship. We've been spending most of our time on the purification and the prayer, and we are now coming to the end of the matters of the prayer. So that's where we're at, okay? So today's uh, particular chapter, today's particular, um, how can I say, uh, section is covering something which we've already covered before in volume two. Um, I don't know uh, what year that kind of corresponds to, but not that many, you know, maybe three, four years ago, maybe five years ago. And that is the prayer times. So we've covered the prayer times in detail, but now we're coming at it with a fresh angle of the supererogatory prayers, meaning those non-obligatory prayers and their relationship with the prohibited times of prayer. So when we covered it before, we were defining them, spending a lot of time on defining the concept of time and then a prayer time and, and the like. Now the focus, and then we spoke about it from an obligatory prayer angle. Now, because we're covering the supererogatory prayers, those non-obligatory prayers, how do the prayer times relate to that? That's the uh, subject of today's uh, dars. And it will not just be today, it will be the next few, I think, sessions. 
we'll be covering uh, that as well. All right, folks, uh, the page number in the uh, Sharh is um, 109. 109. 109. Let's have a look. Yes, it is 109. My trusty paper says that. Right, okay. So we're on page 109 at the top. The text, some folks can drop me some of that uh, translation and the Arabic, please. That would be great. Um, but from what I have in front of me, then the author of the original text, he says, إلى غروبها وإذا شرعت فيه حتى يتم ويجوز قضاء الفرائض فيها وفي الأوقات الثالثة فعل ركعتي الطواف. I don't think we'll get to that, but um, the original part we will. Let's see, have we had the uh, text uh, posted? No, we haven't. Huh? Is it down at the bottom, yeah? Yeah, Why is it that I can't see that? When everybody is looking at the <clears throat> Oh, wow, now I don't have it. Shut up. Sugar, why is that? Why have you got that and I don't have that? That's weird. Right, okay. So, um, the text that we're covering today, the prohibited times for general prayer, quote-unquote, okay, are five. Number one, from the true dawn until sunrise, from the sunrise until it has risen above the horizon, the length of a spear, from the zenith until it starts to descend, after praying asr until the beginning of sunset, and from the beginning of sunset until it is completed. These are the five times. It is permissible to make up missed obligatory prayers during all these times. It is also permissible to perform the two units of tawaf during the three short prohibited times. That's in this list, it's two, three, and five. As well as to repeat a congregational prayer during them. I don't think we're going to get to that section uh, right there, but uh, that's good enough. Mesa, if you can print that again, or with that, if you can copy and paste that, for some reason, that comment, didn't come at all on my... Uh, right, Sarah Amir has done it. Good. Well done, Sarah. Right, so this is about then understanding the movements of the sun. Some of you folks, uh, obviously, uh, Aqidah here and Fazana, we just obviously did this last week or the week before. Um, so we're talking about the movement of the sun and its relation to the uh, prohibited times. Obviously, the prayer times are entirely linked to the movement of the sun. Um, and uh, if you want more details about this, then Mesa, if you can uh, tell us what the actual uh, lesson uh, would be for people who want to find out more, then uh, I'll give you that reference and you can check it out. So the way that the uh, author has grouped out these five times of prayer, uh, uh, the, the, the prohibited prayer times, is to put, put them into uh, a, a bundle of five. But this bundle of five is going to be divided into two. Let's go and see what Sheikh Uthameen, he says. So... These are the times in which the prayer is prohibited. And by that, non-obligatory prayer. In principle, 
um, non-obligatory prayer is to be continued continuously. It is to be prayed all the time. In principle, the prayer is to be established all the time. This is because of the generality of the meaning of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's statement, Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu rka'u wasjudu wa'abudu rabbakum wa'f'alu al-khayra la'allakum tuflihun. O you who believe, uh, bow and prostrate and worship your Lord and do good uh, so that you may be successful. Surah Al-Hajj verse 77. This is a verse which is establishing worship generally and the prayer generally. And therefore that means all the time. If we're going to stop it, we need a very direct evidence to stop it. So the basic principle has been established from the Quran. And then also from the generality of the statement of the Prophet when he said to the man um, who did a favor for the Prophet and he said to him, ask for whatever you wish as a form of payment. And the man said to him, I want your companionship in paradise. The Prophet said, okay, anything else other than that? No, that's what I want, Ya Rasulullah, nothing more, nothing less. And the Prophet ﷺ said, then help me to help you achieve this by increasing, by doing lots of prostrations, by doing lots of sujood, all right? So if you ask for a solution and you're told then, I want you to do lots of sujood, then in principle, that's to be done all the time. The reason we're going through this methodology is to understand actually what are the principles with respect to how we come to rulings. This is the reason we're doing it like this. So from the Quran and the Hadith, it is clear that we are meant to pray all the time, right? We're talking about non-obligatory prayer. You are meant to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week, except when explicitly you are told not to. And that's basically the subject of our class today, okay? These are five times that we can uh, discover that you are not allowed to pray. Three of them are very short times. Two are quite large periods, okay? Three are very short, five are very large. Again, I will uh, 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 repeat you know, basically what these times are. So the first time is from the true dawn until sunrise. And the second time, is from the sunrise until it has risen above the horizon, the length of a spear. The third time is from the zenith until it starts to descend. The fourth is after praying Asr until the beginning of sunset. And then the fifth is from the beginning of sunset until it is completed. These are the five prayer times. All right, let's go into detail. The first one, Min al-Fajr al-Thani. The first prohibited time, according to the author, who is Hanbali, in his opinion, is after the second Fajr. The second Fajr indicates there's a first one. The first Fajr is called the false dawn, unlike the true dawn, all right? So the false dawn is a time in which the prayer is not established, all right? The first dawn, and this is known as the Adhan of Bilal, and this is sometimes, I don't know whether you guys have been hearing that Adhan, yeah? You've been hearing it when it's not the time for Salatul Fajr? So it's going off, you know, an hour, half hour before. That is a, uh, a kind of like a wake-up call. Uh, you know, hey, if you're fasting, eat. If you haven't prayed your witr, pray it. So it's like a warning kind of call. That's the time of the first fajr. It doesn't actually allow the fajr prayer to start. And a person can carry on eating as well. It's that second adhan. It is the actual fajr adhan, the true dawn fajr, which is the start of the Fajr prayer time. 
So according to the author, the first time starts from the prayer time. The reason I'm emphasizing that is because we're going to disagree with this position in a minute, okay? So he's saying from the actual start of Fajr, a person is in a prohibited time. Now, before we move on to discuss this, I want to just quickly remind you, because again, we have actually covered this before. So those students who remember this from back in the day, Mesa has said that this was covered in year four. So it was six years ago that we covered this in chapter 15. The references is there. Shazad has posted the video as well, as well as the text of the lesson in the portal. So I want you to understand, I want you to look at the background that I have here. Um, let's see, I move this way a little bit, okay. And I want you to imagine that you're looking out of your window, and if you're looking out of your window, you can see the horizon. And the horizon is effectively where the furthest point that you can see out of your window. So we're talking the normative row of houses and the hills or whatever, and no major massive blocks in the way, like a mountain or like, you know, big blocks of flats. But we're just talking basic kind of, you know, you're high up in the bedroom and you can, you know, see all the rest of the houses as far as the eye goes. And then the sun, the, the, the sky will obviously be filling up the top and where the sky and the land meet, that's called the horizon. And this will be this line here. Imagine this line here. When you look at this line, this line will become illuminated. All right. It will start to become full of light. When this line becomes full of light along lengthways, this is what's known as the true dawn, which indicates that there's something called the false dawn. Now, the false dawn is not associated with the horizon. So I want you to imagine that if you were to go outside into your garden, okay, or outside into the middle of the night, in actual fact, if we use Medina as an example, the problem with Medina as an example, actually it's a major problem, is that there is a ridiculous amount of light pollution. All right? So when you go outside, you can, you know, they, you've seen the pictures from space. They literally send in pictures because it's that illuminated, right? It's ridiculous. And this is the kind of thing you've got to do out in the, in, the, in the wilderness, in the rural areas, where you can actually see proper darkness. So imagine all the lights were off in Medina, right? If you go out now, at, we've got 5.40 the second at that. So if you go out around 4.30, 4.45, 4, 5 o'clock a.m. at the moment, and you were to look up into the sky, and I mean straight up into the sky, then if you were to look up like this, you would see a diffuse light in the middle of the sky like this. That's, that's, that's stretching like this. So it goes from the back and it comes to the front, okay? It goes from the back and, and it's diffuse. So it's not very clear and it's not very bright either. And the interesting thing about this light is, number one, that it is this direction. So it's running parallel, okay, to your, your standing, all right? And the other thing is that it um, is uh, very temporary. It's a very, very short period of time. The other thing about it is that it will disappear. So even though it will illuminate the sky, it will then disappear and darkness will reappear. That's the false dawn. Even though the sky uh, brightens up and a person might think it's Fajr time, it's not. The true dawn, on the other hand, has uh, different characteristics. First of all, it is mustatir. It is spread out. So by that meaning, it's not in the sky. It is connected to the horizon and it is spread out. So something in the sky versus something which is connected to the actual horizon itself from left to right. So not only does it spread out, but it's connected. Therefore, that means that when it enlightens or illuminates, 
you see the skyline in front of you, this here, it starts shooting up like that. Whereas at the Fallstone, there's darkness here. There's a gap, actually. If you look at the horizon during the Fallstone, you'll see darkness, 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 and then the light starts in the middle of the sky. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because in the summer, especially from the countries that we're from, Northern Europe, Europe in general, certainly Northern Canada, Northern US, um, in the summertime, because of our high latitude, because we're so high, the amount of uh, sunlight in the sky or twilight in the sky makes everything very difficult to differentiate. But you will realize that the light which is in the sky is not actually connected to the horizon. It is very important to understand basic skills to look at the horizon and see where the light is connected to it. Another clue which helps, which you would have noticed here in Medina as well, very uh, nicely here in Medina, is the redness. And Nabi Sallallahu said, Al-Fajr wal al-humr al-mustatir. Al-humr al-mustatir, meaning the redness which spreads. So that means that it's not just the white light that you're looking for, but you're looking for better redness as well. And it's spreading lengthways from side to side. All right? So Sheikh Uthameen, he summarizes this to differentiate between the false dawn and the true dawn. The false dawn starts nothing. It just wakes you up. The true dawn is what in, in, initiates the Fajr prayer. The first way to uh, differentiate it, he says, is that there is no darkness after the true dawn. After the false dawn, darkness reappears. That's the first thing. The true dawn, it just keeps getting brighter, 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 brighter until the sun rises. After the false dawn, it is bright, then it goes dark, then it starts to get brighter again. So that's the first sign of the difference. The second difference is that the true dawn is connected to the horizon. The false dawn is in the middle of the sky. All right, there's an actual gap, whereas the true dawn is connected to the horizon. And the, um, the third one is that the uh, uh, false dawn is is going this way from back to front, back to front, whereas the true dawn goes left to right. And that means even when it's not at the horizon, even when it's above the horizon, the light is coming like this from left to right, as opposed to appearing in the middle first. Does that make sense, everybody? Yeah? These are the three differences that you yourself can use, especially at times when there's a lot of light pollution or when you're in that summer kind of period in the idea of uh, uh, the kind of uh, the times when we're, we're basically we're back home. All right. Now the Sheikh said, "Min al-Fajr al-Thani," meaning the author of the Hanbali text of Abul Hajjaj. He said, "Yani from the second Fajr time," meaning from the true dawn time. Um, and he didn't say from Salatul Fajr. He didn't say from Salatul Fajr. And the reason they said this is because of a hadith that they use. And this hadith is actually a weak hadith, which is why this opinion is to be criticized. The hadith, which is weak, says that when the fajr uh, 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 starts, then there is no prayer except for the two units of fajr. When the fajr starts, then that means the true dawn. When it starts, then there is no prayer except the two units of fajr. Now, this hadith, إِذَا طَالَ الْفَجَرُ فَلَا صَلَاةَ إِلَّا رَكَعَةَ الْفَجَرُ لَا صَلَاةَ إِلَّا رَكَعَةَ الْفَجَرُ There is no prayer other than the two units of fajr. That's the hadith that the Hanbali school uses. Now, before we start to take apart what this actually means, 
Uh, just a little grammatical point that Sheikh Uthameen wants to make. Whenever you, in Arabic, use the word uh, la, the lam, to indicate, uh, uh, to indicate or to negate, there are different types of negating lam. You can either negate, as Sheikh Uthameen says, the actual existence of something, so it doesn't exist, la, whatever, it doesn't exist, or you're negating the validity of something, that this is invalid, all right? Or you're in your indicating its perfection, so it's deficient. So for example, um, Sheikh Uthameen gives an example. He says, La khaliqa illallah. Okay? La khaliqa illallah. That there is no creator except Allah. This la, this lam, this negation, is the negation of existence. That there, there does not exist. It's not possible and there isn't a creator except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we look at the context of the sentence to help us determine what type of negating lam has been used. A different sentence, for example, la salata bighayri tuhur, there is no prayer without purification. Is this the negation or lam of negation of existence? Why not? There still is a prayer. Because there still is a prayer. The prayer is being offered. This is the what we call the lamb of, of a siha, nafiya siha, meaning that it has negated the validity of that prayer. The prayer is there, but it's an invalid prayer because you prayed it without wudu. So because we know that around the sentence, we are able to yani, work out the, the nature of that lamb. The reason why this is important, by the way, is that scholars, when they come across a hadith, in each time, the lamb will just say la, 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 and it's up to you to be able to work out, is it trying to negate its existence, negate its authenticity, or negate its excellence? The, the third example will make this clear. The Prophet ﷺ said, for example, la imana liman la amana lah. There is no iman for the one who has no, yeah, and he does not carry the trust. Okay, the one who does not fulfill the trust. This hadith, if you imagine it, la imana, right? There is no iman for the one who cannot be trusted effectively, right? Which would indicate, depending upon how you translate this, as something incredibly serious. If a person lied, for example, a person made a mistake, for example, a person was, you know, uh, whatever it is, okay? That would mean that he's become kafir because there's no iman, there's no faith. That's if we translated this as either uh, the, uh, negating existence or negating validity. So we know from a fact that it's possible for a person to do sins and to not ruin the whole thing. And so therefore we understand from this sen sentence that the lamb which is negating here is not negating existence or validity, it's negating completeness. So the way that we would translate this because we know now what lamb is being used is that you have not attained true faith if you cannot be trusted with the amana. We, we add the true uh, kind of wording to indicate that you haven't lost everything, but you've got a deficient level of iman. So this is a nice reminder, of course, for the students that it is important to, to understand the various forms of negation and affirmation from the language which is uh, used. So our author, what did he say? La salata ba'da al fajri illa raka'ata al-fajr. That is the two, that is the weak hadith which is being used. Now, when you say, la salata, there is 
So that could either be there is no prayer, okay? There is no prayer, or that prayer is not valid, or that prayer is not complete. So there's no prayer after Fajr starts except the, that of the two Fajr. We know that there can be a prayer. You could pray that prayer. So it's not obviously existence, but it means the validity of that prayer. So any prayer which is offered after the Adhan is going to be invalid. Now, what is the consequence of the humbly position using this hadith? All right, I know this might be confusing some of you folks, like what's all this going on? I'll make it easy. You know how some people go to the masjid and they are there and the Fajr Adhan goes. After the Fajr Adhan goes, what are some people doing? They pray, they pray their two sunnah very quickly and they start praying nafal, isn't it? You know, maybe the salah is, uh, the iqamah is half an hour away, the iqamah is 20 minutes away. And I can tell you now that I have visibly or not visibly, I have, whatever, the, the physically, I have noticed anyway that the time has reduced in uh, Medina. 100%. In the last 10 years, 15 years, you're always getting a good 25 minutes. Huh? Before or now? Now it's 15 hours. Now it's tops. Like, it's like 10 to 15 minutes. Right? I think, I think that but there's been a push, and I don't know what has caused it. Because back in the day, it was 25 minutes minimum. And you get a lot of time. Now, I'd wish that they change that just so that they can avoid people doing this. But that's clearly not the reason. It's, as you said, probably the imam and local kind of reasons. Um, and so what people are doing is that they, they come, they sit in a masjid, they think, what else am I going to do? So I'm also pray some nafil. So according to the humbly position that are using this hadith, every prayer that's being offered is invalid. Other than the two sunnah of Salatul Fajr. That's the consequence of this opinion. The consequence of saying that it is a prohibited time from the beginning of the start time of Fajr until the, uh, until the sun rises. That would mean that every prayer other than the two sunnah of Fajr would be invalidated. That's the humbly position. That's the consequence that I wanted to uh, 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 say. Now, Sheikh Uthameen says that the correct position in this issue is that the prohibition is not linked to the time, but linked to the Fajr prayer. Meaning that actually it's not after Fajr starts, that is a prohibited time, but after you have prayed the obligatory units of Fajr. Why? Because of the hadith which is narrated in Sahih Muslim, when the Prophet ﷺ said, لا صلاة بعد صلاة الفجر حتى تطلع الشمس. This hadith is the authentic one in Sahih Muslim. What does it say? It says that there is no prayer uh, after the Fajr prayer until the sun rises. There is no prayer after the Fajr prayer until the sun rises. To be translated as that there is no valid prayer. There is no prayer that can be offered after the Fajr prayer until the sun rises. So therefore, that's the position of this class. That is the key um, uh, uh, the key prohibited time linked to the Fajr prayer itself. The Sheikh then says that Likewise, when it comes to the Asr prayer, and I think many of you will probably know that you're not allowed to pray after Salatul Asr. Yeah, this is narrated also in Bukhari as well and in Muslim that one doesn't pray after Asr prayer until the sun sets. Likewise, the hadith is not about the start of Asr time, but after you've prayed Asr. Now, this is very important because in the Hanafi school, what do they do? They delay the, Han they delay the Asr prayer. So instead of, for example, so here in Medina, right? What time? 
Also started? Yeah, start time. We're praying it after what? 10 minutes? Ish? About 3.30? Maghrib's kicking it at 5.40? Yeah? That would mean we have, by praying at 3.30, taken out 2 hours and 10 minutes from the game. Imagine you're in the haram. Alright? I mean, Mecca. Like, you know, when we go tomorrow. Right? You're there for 2 hours and 10 minutes. You don't have any uh, tawaf to do because, you know, you didn't get the booking and all that kind of behavior. So you got two hours and ten minutes. And you're yani, sitting there thinking, a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand, let me get it at it. And then you're thinking, right, how am I going to do a hundred thousand when this is a, a, a time that I'm not allowed to pray? Okay? And it takes yani, a lot of uh, tawakkul and a lot of focus to understand and the planning, how to plan a day out. Now, I, now, what I find interesting, actually, I find fascinating, is that the Hanafi school, amongst its justifications for delaying the Asr prayer, one of them was so that people can get to pray more tatawwat prayers, more nafil prayers. So if you imagine, they're going to make you pray your Asr prayer. I mean, if the Imam was Hanafi, he would be praying at something like quarter to five. Imagine that, right? So we're praying at 3.30. He'd be praying like an hour, hour 15 after that. You'd come to the masjid, You'd have like an hour to knock out yani, you know, 26 million yani, uh, prayers, probably. And then you pray the Asr prayer and you'd be so knackered by then anyway. So you say, you know what, I need an hour off anyway. Right? So you'd wait until Maghrib and you'd be alright with that. It's an interesting angle. It's an interesting angle. The real question, of course, what, we would say, what, what the, the, the three Imams would respond to the Hanafi position is that, is this Akli justification enough to delay the Asr prayer when the Prophet ﷺ has only been reported in praying it in, at its earliest time? That's the real question. Is that justification, the aqli justification of delaying asr prayer, good enough, good enough, when we know that in Sahih Muslim, the Prophet ﷺ said that the prayer of the munafiq is the one where in Salatul Asr, the time starts, the sun starts to keep going, and the sky starts to become yellow, and it gets more yellow and more yellow, and when you hear this statement, more yellow, more yellow, it means that the sun is becoming closer to Maghrib. So in the last hour, the last half an hour, and then suddenly he stands up and then he prays Salat al-Asr very quickly. The Prophet ﷺ said is that he pecks it, yani, you know, very quickly because he knows that I don't have much time. Salat al-Maghrib is about to kick in. Tilka Salat al-Munafiq. That is the prayer of the Munafiq. Of course, we'll respond and say that the person who's been described here is a person who's not even praying in the first place. He's sitting, actually. The Prophet ﷺ said he's sitting watching the sun. Unlike, yani, you know, uh, you know, Chacha who's praying 100 rakaat, and yani, he's not doing anything, you know, like dossing around. He's busy in ibadah. It could go back and forth. There's no doubt, though, that the correct position is to pray the prayer on time and to reappropriate this act of two hours, this two hours time slot into something else. So you would be looking to do tawaf. You would be looking to do dhikr. You would be looking to do uh, qira'ah or tilawa and so on you would be instead focusing your uh, prayers in the empty periods between Maghrib and Isha, or from Isha all the way through the rest of the evening until the second part of the evening. Or for example, in the Duha time, which is after sunrise until Dhuhr. Or for example, between Dhuhr and Asr. Why is it that you've left all of your day's achievements of 26 million just to the two hours of prohibition time? Your poor planning shouldn't be the reason that we start to change the rules or, or the wisdoms of Sharia. So, Something maybe to uh, reflect upon. Anyway, so Sheikh then says, um, if this is the correct position then, what we're saying, which is that actually it's not prohibited to pray after Fajr, 
because, because the hadith says that it's prohibited from after the prayer of Fajr, the two rak'ah of Fard, until sunrise. How do we respond to the humbly position who, who said that it's from the prayer time because of the hadith that they used? We say in response number one, the hadith is weak, which is the end of the, the, end of the story. By the way, the hadith, just for your reference, is narrated by Imam Abu Dawood, hadith number 1278. Also narrated, yeah, uh, and Imam Tirmidhi as well, a hadith 419. He said hadith gharib. It's a strange hadith. It is a, a hadith which is not just strange, actually, uh, a hadith which is um, uh, isolated in its chain, which we call strange, but it's isolated in its chain, meaning that it has a much greater propensity of being weak, and it is weak. So that's the first response. The second response to that hadith, you know, try to explain it, to try to explain it away, is that even if, even if we were to say, no, your hadith is authentic, we'll take it, okay, we'll act by it, then actually what the hadith means is not what they mean. So even if we assume that the hadith says there's no prayer after Fajr starts, not after the Fajr prayer, but after Fajr starts, then this basically means that it's not legislated to pray. It's not yani, an Islamic requirement to pray. It is not legislated. One shouldn't pray. Not that one cannot pray or that if a, if a prayer is prayed, then it is, uh, um, it is invalid. Okay? So Sheikh Uthameen, he says that, um, and this is true anyway. Sheikh Uthameen says, if we take this interpretation, then this is true anyway, because even though we believe that the hadith which is authentic on the matter, which is that you cannot pray after Salatul Fajr, even though we believe that, we also believe the other thing as well, which is that in this period of time, this is not a prayer time anyway. This is actually a prayer time which is not legislated for uh, uh, Sunnah or Nafal prayers. We see the Prophet ﷺ pray every single day. We have so many hadith and we do not see him pray any single prayer in this period of time, other than the two Sunnah of Fajr. So it is not considered to be a legislated prayer time anyway regardless. That's why um, you'll find in the books of fiqh that it's never mentioned as a primary prohibited prayer time, but in the kind of secondary matters when people ask, you know, when, should, is, when is it not good to pray? We say after the Fajr Adhan. After the Fajr Adhan, until the prayer of, or until the Iqama of Salatul Fajr, one shouldn't be praying Nafal. Is that, is that clear? Jeeva. Yes, it is. It is it, that that is with the assumption that the two rakah of fajr is exception. Correct, correct. They're not even attempting to do that. We're, we're all agreeing that the two sunnah is something which is an exception because there's text. Yeah, this is exactly about the scenario that I described. Person coming early, right? And and or there being a long period and then being in the masjid at that time and then them starting to make themselves busy, and they start praying, you know, two more, two more, two more. All right? So that's something that we need to uh, keep in mind. All right. Then the next uh, prohibited time, the next prohibited time is women That it is, oh, that this is the uh, time when the sun rises until it's above the horizon, the length of a spear. The length of a spear. What does this mean? So sunrise is what? If you imagine uh, that, uh, uh, imagine if you imagine this, um, uh, this, this is the sun's disk, okay? And this is the horizon, and you can't see what's behind the horizon, 
or obviously you can't because it's behind the horizon. Then you see the, the tip of the disc just above, that is sunrise. Okay, the first appearance. Not lots of bright light, no, it's the appearance of the disc. So as soon as you see the disc appear above the horizon, this is the beginning. This is now going to go like this. It's going to rise, rise, rise until it gets above the horizon, until it's cleared the actual horizon itself. This clearing the horizon is described as until it is a, 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 the height of a spear, right? The height of a spear is that whole visual illusion. You know when you do that whole thing like that? Yep, and you try to, you know what I mean, right? So if you had a spear and you put it down like that, and you could then see that there's a gap between the horizon and the sun, and it's the length of a spear, like one or two meters, this is enough clearance off the ground for you to be in the safe zone to pray again. That's what's basically been described. In other words, this is how it used to be seen back in the day. Today, no one needs to uh, refer to it like that. All you need to refer it to is that from sunrise, you don't pray for 15 or 20 minutes. That's basically how we understand it. For 15 to 20 minutes, Sheikh Uthameen says 10 to 12 minutes. This is because of the equator here, because in Medina uh, and generally the Middle East, we are very equatorial. And remember that these rules differ according to where you are on the planet. So yeah, here, 10 to 12 minutes is how long it takes. Suddenly, you know, it happens just like that. The sun is above uh, very quickly. But back, you know, in our places, it takes longer, right? That's because of the angle that we have. So you'd wait 15, 18 minutes until the sun is clear and you can see, you know, the full disk. And as long as you can see the full disk, you're good. Okay? That's yani, the, the, the next uh, time. Now, um, then Sheikh says the third time which is being referred to, This is when the sun is at its high point until it falls. Until it falls. Now this is referring to the, um, the sun at its zenith or when it hits the meridian. All right. What this means is, as you know, the sun rises in the east. All right. And it goes, goes, goes high, high, high. Obviously, it's not just the sun which is moving. The earth is moving as well. So everything's in a state of motion. And when the sun hits its absolute very highest point, very, very highest point, it's almost like it reaches that point and almost like it freezes. And until it then falls, and I mean by fall, meaning that it goes towards the western side. So once it's at its highest point and it hits its western side, it starts to now go and the afternoon starts. So this is known in English as noon, not 12 o'clock. It's known as noon. So noon is at its absolute middle and then Afternoon is when it starts to go into the after of the collapse. And the before noon is all the way up to that highest moment. Now, when it gets to that moment there and it's, it's kind of stationary at its highest point, this is known as the time of Zawal, right? This is the time where it's not allowed to pray. And we wait again another 10, 12, 15 minutes until the sun moves from this highest point. This is actually called a setting. It's the first sunset because the sun starts to set. Okay? And now what you'll find is that when your shadows were going that way, and then your shadows were now not there because it was directly above you, and then the shadow goes a little bit to the left because we're on a little bit of an axis, right? So the earth is a little bit like that. And so when it's at its highest point, there's a tiny shadow, but the shadow freezes. As soon as the shadow starts to elongate to the east and the sun is to the west, 
meaning it's hitting across you like that, you now know that dhuhr has started. So you've seen um, in the model, um, you remember in uh, Dar al-Medina, in the museum? Do you remember when we went from stage to stage describing the mosque's uh, 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 developments, right? And we saw that when the Uthmani expansion occurred, they added a pole into the middle, and that middle is still there, of course, it's still preserved, the pole isn't, but the location of the pole is, and that pole was acting as a sundial. And because you've got all this space around it, you've got basically the sun, which is moving in its normal time, and that shadow would be observed, and it would act as a very accurate way of determining what time the prayer is to be. So, for example, as soon as it goes past to the west, and the shadow starts to elongate from the, to the east, we know Dhuhr has kicked in. For example, we know that when the sun starts to drop further, and then the pole and its shadow are equal, then the Shafi'is have entered into their Asr prayer. When we know that the shadow, when the, the sun has gone further down, so it's now lower, and it hits across that pole, and the shadow is now twice the length of that original pole, then we know that the Hanafi Asr time has kicked in. So these, are, these shadows are important for us to understand the uh, prayer uh, time. Now, um, what's the evidence for this third time being a prohibited time? The evidence is a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, narrated by Uqba ibn Amr radiallahu ta'ala anhum. He said that the Prophet ﷺ said, he said, ثلاث ساعات نهانا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أن نصلي فيهن That there are three times that the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم prohibited us from praying therein. وأن نقبر فيهن موتانا and he prohibited us from burying our dead in these three times. So you can't pray in these three times, and you can't bury the dead in these three times. What are they? When the sun is rising until it is above the horizon, that's the first prohibited time. And when the sun is, is stationary at its highest point. It is standing stationary at its highest point. Okay? And the final one is when the sun starts to uh, fall and set until it is completely disappeared. When the sun starts to set until it is completely disappeared. If you look at this hadith, it is describing three times, three short times, and the three most intense times. Short times and intense times. All three are clearly focused around the sun itself. It's not now focusing on prayer, and it's not focusing on long times, it's focusing on the actual movement of the sun itself. So in the first one, it was the sun coming onto the scene. That's a haram time for 15 minutes. The second one, is the sun being at its highest point and being very clear and very obvious. And then the third one is the sun being there and suddenly disappearing from the scene. So it's all surrounding the sun. Obviously, I covered this uh, uh, before as well, but just as a, a reminder, we're just obviously covering it um, uh, again. Anyway, the fourth time then, Women Salat al-Asri ila ghurubiha, the fourth prohibited time is after you pray Salatul Asr, until the sun starts to set. When does the sun start to set? If we use the example of our sun again, and this is the disc, it starts to uh, uh, set 
as soon as the disk hits the horizon. So once the disk hits the horizon, okay, and it's starting to disappear, this is sunset. Okay, this is the start of sunset, sorry. Now, why is this important to understand? Because when you go to Google, right, or your phone app, weather app, etc., etc., and you're looking at sunset time, you need to know what is that referring to. Because if your phone is saying sunset time is this, and you're using that to pray, then that's a disaster. Because that's a haram time for you to pray. Actually, sunset on your app is indicating the correct sunset that we all believe in as well, which is that. That's sunset. The sun has disappeared underneath the horizon. All right? Now, what you notice in pretty much all of your weather apps and everything is that it's kind of saying like, for example, 5.40 and the actual adhan or the Muslim timetables and calendars is adding another two minutes, sometimes three minutes, sometimes one minute, etc. This is a habit which uh, the Muslims have been doing for a long time. It's not just something which is new. And they justify it by saying that there are visual illusions and there are some mistakes that can be made and there are... Uh, we're accounting for inaccuracies in the... Um, yeah, there's that as well. They're saying that we've got to allow for an actual... Which is crazy if you think about it, right? We're allowing for the actual distance of the light to come from the sun to us. That takes like X amount of seconds, minutes, blah, blah, blah. All of this uh, being added. And this, of course, is not necessary. This is not necessary. And it is, it is uh, okay for a person just to use the app that is as long as it's accurate, of course, to that says sunset, and that is sufficient to be able to uh, use. All right. Um, now, uh, the final and the fifth part is the actual sunset itself. So I was saying, yeah, that according to the author, the fourth time is from when the Asr prayer has been prayed, all of this time until the sun starts to hit the horizon. The fifth time is the actual one that we just mentioned in the Hadith. The actual setting. This is this is taking an hour, obviously, or two hours, depending upon you know what time you prayed your asr prayer. Yeah, so this could be one or two hours. Whereas this part, which is the actual haram, haram, proper haram time, the intense haram time, if you like, that's another ten minutes or fifteen minutes. Sun starting to set until it's completely set. The disc is gone. That's the fifth uh, time. So in summary, I know that you know I was all over the place. Let me summarize it. It starts from the morning, these five prayer times, okay, that you are not allowed to pray. The first of them is after you pray Salatul Fajr until the sun starts to rise. The second is the sun rising until it's clear above the horizon. The third is when the sun's at its highest point. The fourth is after you pray Salatul Asr until the sun begins to set. The fifth is the sun setting itself. If you look at these five times, three are very, very short, focusing on just on the sun. The second time, the third time, and the fifth time. As for the first time, it's a long period of time, all right? It's like an hour and a half, really, after, or an hour or whatever, after Salatul Fajr, until obviously sunrise. And you look at the fourth time, which is after Asr, until that, that's another hour, hour and a half, two hours actually, in our case here in Medina at the moment. So that's an example of the two long times, and you can call it the two general times, and you've got the three short times, and you can call that the three intense times. Proper haram times, okay? Proper, proper haram times. Um, a question, and we'll close with um, we'll close with this. Um, what's the reason behind the prohibition of times? What's the wisdom behind it? Why have 
prohibited times and why these times specifically? Sheikh Uthameen often asks this question, okay? Uh, or, or asks us to ponder this question. And each time that he does that, it's clear that he wants to make, uh, uh, make it a teaching point. And the teaching point is, is that the wisdom is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said so, and the Prophet has said so. There is no need for any wisdom. It's like a trick kind of question, and he always slaps people down in the beginning, chops them, then he gives the reason afterwards as well. He does it all the time, right? And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. It's nice to be reminded uh, that sometimes. And uh, the reason that I think that is relevant for us is because obviously today in the Umrah seminar, I made this point, right? That actually, um, if I read the ayah to you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Ahzab, verse 36, That when Allah, it's not for the believer, male, and not for the believing female, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger have decreed a matter that they have a choice in what is what has uh, been obligated upon them. What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is indicating that once something has been decided, that's the end of the matter. It is pure slavery that this ayah is emphasizing. And as I mentioned before, when you break down the act of Umrah, and when you break down the act of Tawaf, and its direction, and its numbers, and the object that we're going around, and what we do with the object at different places, different times, it is pure slavery. It is emphasizing pure slavery. You might want to try and make sense of it. You might want to try and develop some spiritual benefits out of it. You might try, and you see people, you know, they write books and they say that center of gravity is doing this and you know, the world is going around like that. And so when you're doing you're this and you're in line with the stars and all this kind of bakwas, right? People are desperate to have rational, rational kind of explanations for their acts of worship. That's why I do find it beneficial that our primary function in life is just to obey. We are slaves. We don't deserve any explanation. We are slaves of the Creator. If He gives us an explanation, we're very grateful because it might motivate us a bit more, might give us a bit of an understanding, etc., etc. So, and Sheikh Uthameen has quoted the ayah, which establishes this, and then he quotes a hadith as well, which establishes the same thing. Aisha radiallahu anha um, was asked, why is it that the menstruating woman, she makes up her fasts, but she doesn't make up her prayer. I bet that's a question that many of you have asked yourselves, right? She makes up her fast when she's menstruating, but she doesn't make up her prayer. And she says, That's what used to happen to us, and we were told to make up the fast, and we were not told to make up the prayers. All right? Which is just the next level answer, right? Meaning that, what kind of question is that? That's what used to happen to us. We used to make up the fasts and we didn't used to make up the prayer. What she's indicating is that this is a ruling, not something for me to think about and try to understand or I want to understand. Now that doesn't negate the need to understand things, but it's making it clear in our hearts and minds that let's actually focus on the real reason. And that is because we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He has decreed the ruling and we're going to uh, uh, accept it. Some wisdoms though, is that we know that the mushrikeen used to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at these times, specifically. At the sunrise, sunset, and by the way, I don't know, obviously we were here, we weren't here, actually we were leaving uh, for uh, Umrah, but that was of course on the, the winter solstice. And if you are watching the live feed from Stonehenge, and I'm not saying I was, but I'm just saying that I was, yeah? 
then you see some full bakwas going down. Full bakwas. All right? Because obviously that, and it was a very sunny day. I don't know whether you noticed, right? It was sunny. So they enjoyed the annual good one. And you see all kinds of, you know, uh, 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 nakedness and singing and dancing. And at the key moment, first of all, you can see the one where they were at, when it was at its highest point, which they, they absolutely love. And then, of course, when the sun was setting. Now, obviously for them, if this if it's the sun god and all this kind of paganism, right? And so when it's setting, it is incredibly glorious, which of course it is, right? And so therefore, this is the display of might and power. And of course, when the sun appears on the scene, the display of might and power. And when it's at its highest point and its hottest point, a display of might and power of the sun god and blah, 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 right? So because of this kind of association of the mushrikeen, then um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, has legislated for us to be different. Shaykh Uthameen then goes right off on one, all right? He just goes and, and emphasizes just how different we are from the mushrikeen and how important a principle that is in our sharia, that whenever it's possible, we will emphasize the difference between us and the mushrikeen. So he starts quoting Umar, and you know, when he starts quoting Umar and on differences between the believers and mushrikeen, then make sure you turn off the recording and get all of the liberals out of the room because things are about to get yani rocky. So he says, so therefore it's obligatory upon the uh, Muslims that if there's any way to show a difference between us and the mushrikeen, then you should do that. For example, he would, Omar would not allow people to ride, and the, the mushrikeen to ride a horse when the believers were riding because only the believers deserve that kind of izzah and honor to ride, you lot can walk, okay? And he would say, and he goes that, because this is the honor of Islam to be on a horse, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a war tool as well. And if a dhimmi, meaning someone who's just like a non-Muslim citizen, who's miskeen paying, the, paying the, uh, the, you know, he's under the protection of the state, if he starts to feel, you know, as a dhimmi, I'm very special and honored as well, then why would he bother becoming Muslim? Right? Look at this, this, this uh, description. Right? Um, and Sheikh goes, and it is required from the Muslim to humiliate the kafir. It is required because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhan nabiyyu, jahid al-kuffar wal-munafiqeen wa-ghlud alayhim wa ma'wahum jahannam wa bi'sa al-masir. O Prophet, fight the kuffar and the munafiqeen and be harsh against them because their uh, destination is Jahannam. And what a horrible destination. Verse 9, Surah Tahrim. And so he used to, Umar, because of this, he used to then prohibit them from riding that which the Muslims used to ride. So if we're going to ride yani, the horses, you're going to ride the mules. We're going to ride the camels, then you're going to ride yani, whatever, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> and this is actually quite funny. He goes, also, when you ride, you have to ride with both feet on one side. You know that whole, you know, like how you put a woman on the thingy? Which is the part I don't get. I thought that was a respectful way. You know when you take a lady and you put both her feet to the side, so she's sitting like this. They said they hold the reins and they're going like this, you see? I thought that this was a... In Urtaru, that's how they put the woman on. Pakistani motorbike. Allah, that's exactly the best example. I see that, wallahi, and he's rattling it properly, and Bajari, she's sitting like this, and your heart is in your mouth. Wallahi, I drove past it in Karachi just a couple of weeks ago, and exactly like that. They have the keys. They have the keys. It's okay. The women no, no, that's haram. I don't, don't 
speak about that. Yani, no helmet, no kids, don't go into that part. But I don't understand why she's sitting like that. So when I saw that, I thought it was out of respect. You know, a woman's not into straddle the whole thing and ladylike. So it's out of respect. Chief, is it respectful or what's going on? Why do you do that to your girls over there? Put some, put some spec on their name. No, seriously, who knows? So in England, in the olden days, it was called respect. It was respect. It was. So noble women wouldn't have to go through the difficulty of climbing a horse to gain the horse. They'd just like hop down. Yeah, and they were helped up. For a helped bit. up. They never, they never yep. climbed the horse themselves. They yep. were helped. So I don't get that. Yani he says, So it's further for them, does it? That's emasculating. If a man does it, then it's a uh, embarrassing, yeah? Yeah, that's what a woman being yeah. does it like that. Yeah. Yani, what you're saying is that it is humiliating. Yeah, it's not but, 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 but it's meant to be for the kuffar. He didn't mention like uh, males and females. Mm. Right? You're 100% right. I mean, a male sitting like that, that's weird. Isn't it? That's, that's why, that's why the thing. What, no, but it, that's what Budad just said. It, it, it's, it's, it's taking the men down, but what, the women are not going to feel down like that, are they? Probably. He used to, of course, shave heads. Listen, Umar didn't mess about. You know when people started getting a bit leery, and he used to take their hair off, he used to mark them, we have narrations in the Musannaf, and if you don't want to be, listen, don't bring up Umar when it comes to ruling systems in Islam in front of non-Muslim audiences, okay? Stick to the Abu Bakr era, stick to the Uthman era, then you're going to be okay. If you're in the dawah mode. If you're angry, then just do a presentation on Omar and how he used to mark people and their clothes and whatever, whatnot, then people will learn the lesson. All right. So um, anyway, Sheikh says that this is important because uh, uh, being different being different from them in the prayer is important. Is that, was that for me? Was that for me? You cheeky little fish. You cheeky little fish. Well, I put speck on that. I, I, I'm there by the way, I finished. I, I said I'm going to finish this section. I did it in one hour. Mesa, have some of that. So, um, the, <laughs> I can't believe you didn't trust me. Unbelievable. So, uh, uh, now, uh, what I'll say is that, um, you know, because questions is asked, is that right? Is this fair? Is this the reality of Muslims and Islam? And the truth is that it was a different era and the Mushrikeen had caused a lot of problems and it, this was a Muslim, an Islamic state and, 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 and. This is not, of course, the behavior that you should go back and do. And actually, you should go and try it, and they'll give you a couple of slaps and throw you into the river anyway. So this is not something which is copied behavior. You are citizens, yeah, depending upon them, blah, blah, blah. So let me just make that clear disclaimer, just in case someone gets a bit uh, carried um, uh, away. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. All right, any questions before we start eating our chocolate? Yes. It's a very good question, right? So if a person is um, combining between Dhuhr and Asr, now we know that when you combine between Dhuhr and Asr, maybe as a traveler or maybe as whatever you are, okay, you have a legal excuse, you are allowed to combine at the later time and the earlier time. If you combine at the earlier time, that means that you're praying Dhuhr and Asr early at one o'clock or whatever. And that means you now got four or five hours that you have created for yourself, as the question is, of a prohibited time. Well, 
That's one possible explanation that you wouldn't be wanting to pray anyway. But you know, Pakistani, they will do that. But they, never <laughs> they will even combine and then they'll pray all of the nafals anyway. Yeah, or yeah, they will do suwari. What do you think? What do you think the answer to that is? Because I know in the country, Yeah, well, there are. And I tell, you, I tell you what the evidences for the other side are, that no, it's not extended, okay? It's not extended. Actually, not just Hanbalis, the Al-Hadith are sticking to the Hadith, right? They're saying that the Asr prayer is Asr prayer, just like the Witr prayer starts at Maghrib time. If you combine Maghrib and Isha, then your Witr prayer can be prayed. Otherwise, what's the point of the concession, right? So even though Witr prayer is a long night prayer, but if you want to go to sleep, that's the whole point. You're combining Maghrib and Isha, as someone who's traveling or someone who's in jihad and you want to go to sleep and now you're being told you can't pray the witta prayer. Of course witta prayer comes in because it technically follows the isha. Likewise, the prohibited time technically follows the start of asr even if it's prayed early. That's a safe hadith correct position. The others what they'll say is that they will use the general hadith which are talking about the light, talking about the lateness, the closeness to maghrib to indicate that it's more prayer time than it is the prayer itself. But the evidence seems to be with the uh, those that stick to the uh, the more authentic hadith, which focus on the, the asr prayer. It's an anomaly, frankly. It's an anomaly. Yeah. Um, all right. Why did some scholars say it was makruh for women to ride horses? For that reason, because of unladylike manner and you know fitna that's caused when the hymen breaks because of the movement, etc., etc., etc. Sumaira says that Umar legislated this for which Dhimmi community? There's only one Dhimmi community. There's no different type. Only the, pe the people who actually... Gotta watch this, man. I'm trying to... Yeah, you know when you try to have some gravitas and decorum about it and you realize that it's not happening, yeah? Now go do a bandu move now. Right. Are we doing proper LP style? Like when we chuck it out and stuff, yeah? No. Yeah, this is... A, that's the whole point. You guys... Uh, no, that's what that's why you're Arab, you see? Yalla. There we go. Catch. There we go. This is the LP tradition, by the way, that we always give out chocolates. Shazi, even to try and catch it, not Yani It's been a long, long time since we did this, by the way. A long time to be honest, and I miss it. Oh, not bad, Lala. You can play cricket. 20 months, huh? 20 months before we did this. Right. Now this is where on this is where online now they start to get upset. Oh, what a catch, mashallah. Oh, you see? Elders. Respect on the elders name. There we go. Hafsa. There we go. Very good. Now just starts eating. I can see you you ain't got nothing there. Right, okay. Everyone got some chocolate? Go ahead, Iman. Bismillah. Quiet, please. If you're outside, then yeah. That's the whole point of it being described in these terms. In modern times, because nobody knows what the sun is, where it is, what it looks like, we use the apps. And from the apps, you will see the prayer times and then you'll work around them. So when you see, for example, if you, um, let's do this actually, it's a good exercise. Open up your phone on the, your prayer app. 
Okay, everybody look at their prayer app. Let's, let's all do this, okay? It's a really good question, actually. You see, that's the difference, man. Young folks ask practical questions, all right? She basically asked, you know, are we meant to do this based upon the sun? Actually, no one's ever going to do that, are they? Everyone's going to be looking at their prayer app, and they're going to see, and now I will tell you now what times are prohibited according to your app. All right, so tell us what it says, uh, all of the prayer times for today or tomorrow or whatever. No, no, I want, I want Iman to, to, to do it. Yeah. Fajr is at 5.41, yeah? So according to our class position, knowing that Fajr is at 5.41, whatever time you actually pray Fajr, let's say 6 o'clock, then from 6 o'clock until, what's the next time? Sunrise. So you now know that the first prohibited time is from 6 o'clock, because that's when you prayed Fajr, until sunrise, which is, what did you say, 7 o'clock? Yeah, until 7 o'clock, you know that that's the prohibited time, right? So that's the first thing that you're able to work out by looking at a prayer app. Now you look at the next prayer time. 12.24 is the time for Dhuhr. That's the Dhuhr start time. The Dhuhr start time is at the end of that period of time when the sun is at its highest moment. That means that for the 15 minutes before the Dhuhr start time, it's a prohibited time. Okay, uh, likewise, if you go back to sunrise, when you look at that sunrise time, the 10-15 minutes before that is also a prohibited time. Now look at the next time. What time? 3.23. And so now you know that from 3.23 as a start time, whenever you pray Asr, let's say 4 o'clock or 3.30 or whatever, from when you pray Asr until the next time, which is the sunset time, which is what time? 5.42. So you now know that if Maghrib is 5.42, that means Maghrib has occurred. And we said that, that that process of Maghrib occurring, which is the sun disappearing, if you reverse that upwards, then 5.42 minus 10.15 minutes, so 5.25, from 5.25 to 5.42, that's the time in which the sun is disappearing. That's a haram time. And now working backwards again, you now know that from your Asr, when you prayed it, so you said it starts at 3.20, and if you prayed it at 4 o'clock, then from 4 o'clock until 5.25, that's a general haram time. And then from 5.25 until 5.40, because that's the proper one, that's a haram time as well. Those are your five prohibited times. So the knowledge that we just said here, you apply it to your app by going backwards, because the app is showing when sunrise is done, and the 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 the, the um, uh, uh, what's it called, man? The um, sunset time is showing when the sunset is thingy. I just said sorry. I made a mistake. I made a, a blatant mistake. The sunrise time is the start of the sunrise. My apologies. So when you look at the sunrise time, the prayer is uh, in the first uh, prohibited time is prohibited up to sunrise time, but your, your Fajr Fard prayer, if you hadn't prayed your actual Fard, you could pray right up to that sunrise time. It is the 10-15 minutes after that sunrise time, which is the Haram time to pray. That's the actual time when the sun starts to rise. So when it says 7.02 or 7.01, that's when the sun disc appears and prayer cannot be now offered. You've got to wait for it to now go up above the, sky, above the horizon, 10-15 minutes. That's the prohibited time. All right, I made a complete mash of that, but anyway... 
Uh, right. Any other questions? Shanaz, you had a question? Actually, it was similar to her. Yeah. I mean, in this sense, it's really, if you look at the prayers itself, it's the prayer plus the sunrise, and then Zenith to the Lord. Yep. And then the honorary Asar to the Magid. Yep. They're all for him. Correct, correct. That's a good summary. Exactly that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've got a couple of questions. Yeah. Let's say if you're in a rush and you miss Sunnah for Fajr. Yeah. You should then wait until after the Zulashtab. That's right. That's right. The question is, is that what should you do if you miss the, the, the Sunnah of Fajr? You arrive at the Masjid, you haven't prayed your Sunnah, and the, the Iqama goes, what should you do? You should pray your Fajr with the Jama'ah. Because you are commanded to pray in the Hanafi school, what do they do? They say that you've got to get your sunnah in first because order is more obligatory. So even if the imam has started, you're going to quickly pray your sunnah as quickly as possible and then try to join the imam before he finishes the prayer. The rest of the scholars, and it's the correct position, of course, the position of the majority, is that it is not permissible to pray when the imam is praying. You can't initiate a prayer, let alone continue in one. So you write that off. You've missed the opportunity to pray the sunnah prayer on time. You will join the imam. You will finish the fard with that imam. And then you will wait until sunrise has finished, done. Then you'll pray the two sunnah. That's the correct way of making up the sunnah prayer. However, there are some narrations that are authentic of some of the major companions praying the two sunnah of Fajr straight after that they missed, straight after the two fard of the Jama'ah. And the best way to reconcile these therefore these actions with the narrations that we know is to basically say that um, if there is a person who knows that they are not going to pray those two Sunnah of Fajr, which are very, very important, very emphasized units, and they know that they're not going to pray them for because they're at work or because they're at school or because they're traveling, after sunrise I mean, then for them, those people, there's an exemption. You can pray it straight after the uh, Fard prayer. But in principle, you should avoid it and you should wait until praying it later. Dilshad, yeah? You know when you're praying your sunnah and the imam stops his prayer? Yes. And you're halfway. Yes. You do just stop unless you are very confident that you're able to quickly finish whilst the imam is still somewhere in the kind of Fatiha type kind of the first raka'ah. You should not be delaying, you know, carrying on with your own uh, sunnah prayer or whatever prayer it is that you're doing and say, ah, you know, it's okay. As long as I catch the imam at the end, then I'm going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you're at the start, like in the first raka'ah, you are hardly ever going to try and, yeah. But if you're in the second raka'ah, you make a judgment call. So, for example, it happened to me the other day. And I was in the second raka'ah at the beginning and I heard the iqama. I was very comfortable with it. I carried on. Why? Because I know yani, the mu'adhin. He wasn't, he wasn't the old guy who just says quickly, this is the young kid yani, who's a young buck. And he was going, ah. So I knew I had plenty of time. I did it in the third, but I stopped. In the third? Ah, okay. Got you. Yeah, I mean, if you're, yeah, I mean, if you've got two left, or three left, then you know you you gotta pull out. No, no, no. You should pull out. You should pull out. Yeah. But do you carry on then? Do you pray afterwards? Yeah. If you if you are if you pray your sunnah regularly, then you can make it up afterwards. Yes, right. Yeah. You had another one. Yeah. Um, what about the Hayat al-Masjid? So I thought you were supposed to sit down after you 
That's right. You are meant to sit down after you pray your tahiyyatul masjid. Uh, you're, you're saying that if you've prayed sunnah already at home and you come to the Fajr Jama'ah, is that what you're talking about? No, I'm talking about like if you, if you go to like uh, Maghrib, for the Masjid for Maghrib, yep. then it's the prohibited time. Prohibited time. So that's going to come in the next couple of lessons. Are there any exceptions to these rules, right? We've given general rules, but are there any uh, exceptions? Sara Amir, I'm just going to tell you that if I go... Okay, I'm going to do it because she's obviously she's back and she might then disappear again and then, you know, okay, all right. Um, so the prohibited times, but this is a summary of the class, everybody, okay? This is Sara Amir's summary, so you can listen very carefully. She's very good at this. So the prohibited times for the prayer. This applies for the non-obligatory prayers, as supererogatory prayers should be prayed continuously throughout the day on all days except when explicitly told not to. These are awqat al-nahi, prohibited times as follows. Number one, from the true dawn until sunrise. The true dawn is when the horizon, where the sky meets the land, began, begins to be full of light and illuminated with reddish light, which extends from the horizon upwards and continues to brighten the sky until the sun rises. The first or false dawn is not associated to the horizon, rather it is a diffused or diffuse actually, uh, Sarah, temporary illumination of the middle of the sky, not the horizon, which disappears and darkness reappears. Very good. The humbly position is that the prohibited time for prayer begins from the true dawn time. This opinion is derived from a weak hadith which states that there is no prayer after the start of Fajr except for the two Sunnah Raka'ah of Fajr and Fajr. Correct. Therefore, they hold that any other prayers offered after the true dawn enters are invalid. Sheikh Uthaymeen and the class position is that the, prohib the prohibition is not linked to the time of the entrance of the false or true dawn, rather it is linked to the actual prayer of Fajr. Therefore, the prohibited time is the time after one prays the Fajr Salah until sunrise. That's very good. Number two, the second prohibited time is from the sunrise until it has risen above the horizon, the length of a, a spear. Sunrise is when the top tip of the sun appears above the horizon, not just its light and not the whole sun, just the uppermost part becoming visible above the horizon. The end of the prohibition is when the whole sun is above the horizon by about the length of a spear. This is about 15 to 20 minutes in the west. Number three, from the zenith until it starts to descend. When the sun is at its highest point, this is called zawal, and it seems stationary until it begins to set towards the west. This is derived from a hadith which mentions three times the Prophet ﷺ prohibited prayers and buried the dead which are based on the sun itself and its location in the sky. These are the three short periods. And appears whilst the sun is rising, whilst the sun is in the middle of the sky. No, not in the middle of the sky. We should put whilst the sun is at its zenith, at the highest point of its orbit, okay, is the more accurate statement. And whilst the sun is setting. These are the intense times of prohibition, proper, proper haram times as opposed to the two other general times of prohibition. Number four, after praying Asr until the beginning of sunset. So sunset begins as soon as the lowermost part of the sun touches the horizon. This period could be about two hours long or so, depending upon what time you pray your Asr prayer. And the fifth and final time of prohibition is from the beginning of sunset until it is completed. So from as soon as the lowermost part of the sun touches the horizon until it can no longer be visible behind the horizon. The reasoning for these times is simply that Allah decreed it. Some wisdoms though include being as different to the non-believers as possible. So as they hold these times as sacred, we should do the total opposite. On that note, I also want to say that for the uh, middle time, the, when the sun is at its zenith, then the Prophet ﷺ told us that at that time, that exact time, the hellfire explodes. 
So it has a level of heat which is expressed and that's a, a taster that we get at that hottest time of the day. So of course to be avoiding the, the uh, explosions of Jahannam. I want to end with a statement which is important that I should have said this like a week ago. To hear, to you folks, I was expecting you to be part of the game anyway, but in these times that the mushrikeen are partying and, festi and you know, festive spirit and they're practicing amongst them Christians, whatever, they are doing their mass and they're doing all that kind of thing, it is required from our sunnah to be going harder than them in our own acts of ibadah. Now it's easy Annie, when you're in a trip like this and all you're doing is ibadah, but those who are at home should also try to increase in the acts of uh, worship as much as um, uh, uh, possible. All right, folks, Jazakumullah khair. Jazakumullah khair, guys online. Barakallahu feekum. I appreciate your attendance. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Shadu an la ilaha illa antu. Astaghfirullahumma wa atubu ilayk. Next week, inshallah, back to a normal time on Wednesday, I believe. Inshallah. Barakallahu feekum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.